0: Hi everyone, Jub here. Uh, Welcome to the Get It Jub Show. We had a major technical difficulty with this episode. uh, Right when we started it, my, my cable shorted out and I didn't realize it until it was much too late. So the first, like, probably about 20 minutes of this episode are, like, major ultra fucked. Now, in perseverance of content, I have done my best to keep all of Gen's points in here, and as coherent as possible, he starts talking about our our non-sequitur to begin the episode, him talking about Tony Hawk, then he moves on to talk about some other gaming stuff. So I did my best in the editing room here to keep that intact. Um, But none of my input's there. So I try to remove as much of that as I can. I pop back in around the 20 minute mark when I realize what's going on. um, And I get it fixed. But thankfully... I have that taken care of. Technology sucks, fam. Anyway, I hope you enjoy what I could have cobbled together for this first little bit. I pop back in, starting talking about Yakuza Like a Dragon a little bit later on in the episode, and then it stays mostly consistent for me, as the cable set itself where it was supposed to be. I had to change out that cable, Fuck that cable.
1: Uh, enjoy. Okay, so anyway, hi, welcome to the Tony Report for your intro for this episode here um so the last time on the tony report i talked about how they added a lot of challenges to tony hawks pro skater one plus two and that i was simultaneously happy about that and disappointed by that happy because i could finally get more xp and level up to level 100 and finally plat the game disappointed because the stuff that they did add is challenges in my opinion, wasn't very creative as a whole. It was a lot of... Uh, I had to beat the game over and over and over again uh, as every single character in the game, which wasn't the funnest thing to do. But I'm very pleased to announce that uh, I have finally conquered Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 plus 2, and I have platted the game, and now I don't have to play it anymore. This is possibly the rarest platinum I have, because it has a 0.1% rarity. Um, And the reason for that is, even with the added challenges, it is still quite a grind to get to level 100. You gotta do a bunch of shit, and not nearly as many people are as dedicated as me you know, where they're willing to beat the game as every single person 100% to get a lot of XP. So I, I was still not leveled up all the way after I did everything, well, everything in my skill level that I could do in Tony Oxpro Skater 1 plus 2. There was a lot of challenges I could not do because they were like, you know, hey, man, get 20 million points in Warehouse <laughs> in two minutes. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. You think I can do that? You're mistaken. But anyway, I, um, I found out that uh, you get 300 XP every time you win a online uh, high score challenge and getting that XP is inconsistent when playing online with other people because they could you know it's just like whoever gets to 1 million first for example somebody online is going to get to a million before you Half the time. Okay. However, you can rig the system in your favor and start yourself up in a private match. Go ahead and uh, put every single modifier on in the game, such as you do not bail. Go ahead and do uh, a 900 out of an ollie and then land in a manual and keep doing that until you get a uh, complete combo that will be a million points. Land it. You will guaranteed get the 300 XP. You were only uh, competing against yourself, so you for sure get it. And then rinse and repeat, and eventually (laughs) you can grind out the remaining XP you need in this fucking game. Uh, I wish they thought this through a little better or didn't require you to get level 100 to plat the game because it's not that interesting. It doesn't utilize the game's strengths. Like, it's it's just kind of a grind. And there is a, a, a portion of Tony that is like a grind, for sure, in most of the games. Um, but never to this level. Never to this level. This is too much. And if this is... You know, I, I hope that they reconsider if they make another Tony Hawk game in making that that hard. But it's still a fantastic game that I highly recommend. I, I, most people aren't going to go for the Platinum, so this isn't a concern for them. Play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 Plus 2. It's a good game. One of the best remakes of all time. Don't, don't worry about... Don't don't worry about getting the Platinum, though. Fuck that. Don't be again, Hart. Okay. Thank you. That was my PSA for the day. Tony, Tony Hawk talk is over. <laughs> got that Christmas mountain dew. It's got that uh sure cranberry pomegranate. Hey everybody, how's it going? Yeah, we're talking about the second Hobbit film, the desolation of um how you how you pronounce this? It's 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 sm I think is how you're supposed to pronounce it. So anyway, we will uh, resume our discussion of um, the, uh, the uh, death of cinema uh, later in the show. My online game of choice uh, recently has been The Fall Guys, which is a great game, and I love it. And it's probably my game of the year, to be honest. I mean, I haven't played everything. <laughs> I haven't played Last of Us 2. I haven't played... Um, Ghost of Tsushima. I haven't played Hades. I haven't played most of the things that are nominated for Game of the Year. Um, However, uh, Fall Guys is an original great idea that I enjoy quite a bit. However, (laughs) I'm going to bitch about Fall Guys right now. (laughs) It's a great game. But um, it's kind of become a little frustrating... In my eyes, because one of the things to keep people coming back to Fall Guys, besides new content getting added every season, like the new maps and the new um, games, I guess would be costumes to wear. And Season 2, which is about to end and transition into Season 3, had a lot of fun, great costumes to earn. But the game is not easy. And often the only way to win, like, to purchase costumes is with crowns, which you only get that currency with a win. So it's kind of frustrating when, like, every three days there's a cool new skin in the store, but to get it you need five crowns for the top, And five crowns for the bottom. And I'm definitely not alone in this thinking, because um, I've seen multiple people get pissed that they spent money for one costume, and then something really cool comes along after it. I was fortunate enough during season two to get the Sonic the Hedgehog costume, but uh, I missed out on the Messenger costume, and I'm kind of glad I did because that enabled me to save my crowns until the Godzilla costume <laughs> came out which is incredible that that exists incredible that that crossover happened and then they did an Untitled Goose Game crossover with a goose costume and a emote that honks like the goose and I have all of those things but it took a long time and it was down to the wire for me To get that honk emote before it was gone. Which cost five additional crowns, by the way. So to have the complete goose outfit, you needed 15 crowns. And by that point, I had none left. And they were like, hey, we also have costumes of the gardener and the boy from Untitled Goose Game. And I said, no, I'm good. Because those were also ten crowns each. And they weren't as important to me as the goose. Now... I play Fall Guys more than some people uh, because I like leveling up the Battle Pass system or what have you. Uh, I just leveled it up, and I'm, I'm kind of done until Season 3 comes out whenever it does, probably in a couple weeks into December. But I, I really gotta say, like it, it's not fun to have to grind that hard to get the cool outfit of the day. I wish... More of them just cost the the standard currency because you get a lot of that, and I I mean I I know that they like they had to at least sense that the cool costumes costing ten crowns was a bit unfair because in the battle pass they added a lot of crown unlocks for getting up to certain levels, but it's not nearly enough, and. Without the, the foresight to see when a cool costume is coming, you could spend your stuff on something you wouldn't like as much as the thing that comes after it. Like, if I spent the ten crowns on the messenger outfit, I would have got fucked over from getting the Godzilla one. And... When people, like, online, on, like, Twitter and stuff have complained about this, basically their answer is, oh, well, it'll still appear at the bottom of your shop, but that's random, so there's no guarantee you're going to see that shit again in a long time. Which, you know, because, like, I missed out the first season on, um... There's a Gordon Freeman outfit, and a Scout from uh, Team Fortress outfit. Uh, Chell from Portal. And I, I missed out on all of those. Those are all 10 crown outfits, and I never see them pop up in my bottom score store. And if I do, it's only half. It's only, like, the legs of the scout and not the top half. So I think they need to do something to make that system a little better. I mean, obviously, it's meant to encourage you to play more and more and more and to make the costumes a little special. You know, not everybody has a goose outfit. It, it's kind of like a, a status symbol in a weird way. <laughs> when you see somebody with a ten crown outfit in a game, it's like, oh, that's a hard motherfucker. Lol. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's not keeping me playing it more than just leveling up the battle pass and then going like, okay, I'm done for now. Couple this with the fact that the Platinum Trophy is impossible to obtain because five wins in a row is impossible and has only become even more so (laughs) with the additional games and the variations to all the other previous games that make them harder and those come up every so often. It's just a mess. Like, (laughs) you're never going to get that in a million years. It, It just feels like they need to mix it up a little bit. They need to do a bigger update. Than what they did for season two with season three, and I hope they can do it. But, um, I was kind of a little underwhelmed by season two. It's still a great game at a base level, but you know, they added like five games, and that's fun. But some of them weren't that great, some of them I like cringe when they show up, and I don't want to play them. Uh, I, I absolutely hate the new egg one. Just why would you make another egg game? The first egg game wasn't good either. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, they made a worse egg game for Season 2. You know, I I hope Season 3 is a little better. uh, Because I want Fall Guys to not die off in popularity. Uh, And I think the more that stuff like this can frustrate the user base, the more it will die off. And I think it's a long way out from that, but I I I hope it doesn't happen. Is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> right? You know, it's a battle royale. You you maybe will eventually go the way of PUBG. Like there's there's no way to stop it. Cool. It's a RPG this time around, like a, like a straight RPG, like a Dragon Quest. RPG, oh. right?
0: Yakuza like a dragon takes on uh, almost entirely like full reference from Dragon Quest, even so much that the creator of Dragon Quest gave the Yakuza team their blessing to like use use it as a reference and like do things with it like
2: regarding as much as they wanted. Really cool because they directly reference it multiple times. Like, right at the beginning of the game, uh, talking to one of the other lackeys in your Yakuza family. Your character just straight up says, uh, His name's ich- Bon, by the way. Uh, just directly
0: says, Yeah, I kind of like look at life like a Dragon Quest game. You haven't done your first combat yet. So you're
2: like, What the fuck does that mean? And you go to fight somebody. And Yakuza games in the past have all been like beat em up games. Think a la, like, River City Ransom or something. Where enemies,
0: they, they appear and you beat the shit out of them.
1: Yeah. Simple enough.
2: Yeah, it's simple and straightforward, but it's really fun. In your first encounter in this game, and then a menu shows up. It's an, and it's a turn-based RPG. You're like, what the fuck? Is this Yakuza? Turns out... Fuck yeah, it is. Uh, the studio pulled off balancing
0: what you have to do to make a turn-based RPG good and still keeping that spirit of the Yakuza games completely intact.
2: Which is just incredible. And uh, it's a challenging feat. Especially their first, this is their first time doing it. They, they fucking nailed it. Everything feels authentically Yakuza.
0: Fucking everybody swears at each other. There's an English. It's really has a really good English dub now, which is like Judgment had one as well. This is the first Yakuza game that has one.
1: Yes, I've been hearing that it's a very good dub. It's really good. Are you playing with the dub? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I decided I'm gonna play with the dub. New fresh start for Yakuza.
2: Fresh start for me. I'm doing the dub now. The game that was dubbed was the first one? Terrible.
1: Yeah, I've heard. However, you do get Mark Hamill as Majima in there, which is kind of neat. It's great.
2: Probably the only decent part about the voice acting in that first game. Here's a whole different ball game. Yakuza as a whole is obviously not just starting, it's a huge franchise now. Both America and Japan. For the longest time, it was only super popular in Japan. But then Yakuza 0 kind of sparked a, a lot of followers for the game. Which is great. Super
0: pushing for so many people to play these games since the <laughs> PS3 era.
1: Right. I'm glad that they've uh, caught on a lot more with the Western audience.
0: Yeah, because they're fantastic.
2: They're so good. And in these games, this game totally carries that torch, just, a, it's just in a different light. Got all, it's got a lot of a lot of cool, deep systems. Um, one of my favorite
0: things about it, as far as like keeping the Yakuza brand intact,
2: is like you like when as you're fighting people, you like you move around. Your character kind of moves around automatically. If you're around something, you do a regular attack,
0: your, your dude just automatically picks it up and hits him with it. And I guess the thing in Yakuza, where there's stuff lying around, you could pick it up and hit him with it. And they incorporated that into it, even.
1: Huh.
0: And by a table, and I hit the attack button, little Ishibon picked up the fucking table and swung it at the dude.
1: Nice. Cool. That's kind yeah. of a cool system.
2: And you know about the, the heat actions. Yakuza games. Those are turned into skills that cost points and all that stuff like you would in a regular RPG. Those are great.
0: Those have always been great and heavily brutal.
1: (laughs) Well, it is Yakuza.
0: And then, you know, nobody dies.
1: Sure. (laughs) Because I'm not a murderer. Ichiban is also not a killer. Like, like, hear right. you. Yeah. Okay. Quote unquote, not a killer. Right.
0: Right. Okay. Now he hasn't—he hasn't blown up a helicopter full of people yet. Yeah. But um, I'm sure we'll get there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the story will ramp up uh, as it goes. I mean, obviously you're yeah, not. Yeah, I'm still in. You're not blowing up a helicopter at the beginning of a yakuza game, you know.
0: Right. I've only met the third of my four four party members. Okay. Right now, I'm less than 10 hours in. Cool. A lot of game left. Yakuza games as a whole are already pretty fucking long.
1: Yeah, it's a daunting series to get into just because there's a lot of it. But, um, I will be doing it someday.
0: All these games that are each, like, 30 hour campaigns. Yeah. Like, besides the Kiwami games, the Kiwami games are about half that. But the mainline ones are, like, all fucking, you know, like, 30 hour. 30 hour campaigns and there, it's a lot of cutscenes, a lot of story
1: yes yes
0: thankfully though those the story parts aren't ever a slog to get through the stories are always very interesting this one's no exception it's really cool so far a lot of great characters all of them new
1: it's refreshing so for the most part it is completely like you, you could start with this one 100% okay that's good to hear. There are no there are no ties. Well, I think that's why they intentionally left the seven out of the title, at least for English. At least yeah. for like here. Um, I mean that's fine. I, I uh I like having numbers in my titles more than colons and another title in my titles, but I get understand for this one why they would want to do that. This is the first one where you're not playing as Kiryu in a long time. Right. So you know. I mean, I don't know, if you want to count judgment, but uh
0: the so, well, Judgment's a spinoff. It's not even a Yakuza game.
1: Yeah, sure. So there's, like, no returning characters at all? There's one. Single returning character. Okay. Uh,
0: it's the best one you could pick.
1: Well, I think I already know who it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's Goro Majiba, baby. Yeah, that makes sense that he would come back. Um, I mean, like, he's, like... I mean, honestly, he might even be more popular than Kiryu. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, he is,
0: 100%. He is, at this point.
1: Yeah. And that's a good one. uh, So who voices him in the English, then? Because it's definitely not Um, Mark Hamill again.
0: No, but it's somebody who's really good. Hold on a sec. I'm looking it up.
1: Okay. do 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 just be looking it up. Do, do 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 just be looking it up. I know
0: George Takei fucking voices a character in this goddamn game.
1: Oh, my. Okay, but who Majima? Looking it up, hold on. Majima, the voice... Oh, dude, it's Matt Mercer. Ah, okay. That's cool. That's cool. So he was... Yeah. yeah. I had to look it up and remind myself. He was Leon in RE6. Yes. Matt Mercer cool. Matt Mercer cool. I wish he voiced Leon in a better Resident Evil game, but, I mean, it wasn't his fault that it was bad. Anyway. (laughs) um,
0: No, it was not.
1: He does a good job considering. But anyway... I hope that game continues to be good, and I hope that uh, the Yakuza creators uh, continue to experiment.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, if they want to make another RPG next. That's fine by me. But uh, I mean,
1: after I really after, after making they... all of these uh, beat 'em ups over the years, I'm glad that they transitioned into something new, and I hope they stick with it for a while. Because why not?
2: Yeah,
0: I think they. I think they will, and uh... I don't know. I'm, I'm very. Very excited to keep going through it. I'll report back once I've finished it.
1: Okay. And talk about how it's probably going to be my game of the year, because... You know me. I know you. Oh, another contender for a good game this year, by the way. And speaking of um, organized crime... Yeah. I played and beat Mafia Definitive Edition. And that game, really, really good. That's a great remake. Um... Jusby, have you played the original Mafia? Because I have not. I have. Okay.
0: I played I played the original 2 I I've played all three of them.
1: Okay. This is what I bought, basically. I bought the uh, the trilogy because uh, it was on sale around Black Friday on Sony's store. <laughs> um, I actually owned three before that, but it was cheaper to buy the trilogy than it was to buy one and two separately. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> um mafia definitive edition it's great uh you know it kind of like you know my my interpretation or like the vibe i got from the original mafia without playing it was that it was kind of like attempting to be a little bit more of a sim than gta was like it had a more realistic cop ai that would like pull you over if you were like speeding or running red lights uh unlike the GTA cops, which will just leave you alone unless you hit someone. (laughs) Um, this, uh, you can turn on classic mode, which makes it so that it's like that. But for the most part, it's more like a modern GTA and it's, it controls well. It turns it into a great little, uh, driving open world game slash cover shooter, uh, reminds me a lot of playing through missions in something like a GTA 5 or a GTA 4 Uh, except you got that 1930s mafia paint job over it it's a fun game, great story it's well acted, Uh, they added a lot of dialogue for this game, I think they re-recorded all the cutscenes and dialogue, I'm pretty sure Um, and you know I think it's impressive considering this probably should have ended up being very stereotypical considering like this game and its story is basically just gangster movie trope after gangster movie trope after gangster movie trope <laughs> in a row. Yeah. But um, I think, and this may only be in the re-release here, the performances and the story beats kind of make it work a lot better than it probably should. Um, I was invested in the story by the end of it. And the interesting thing to bring up with how the story is presented to you is that this is not really an open-world game. Um, You just go through the missions in order, and it's linear. Like an old game. Um, The only time you can do free roam in the open world is by selecting it from the main menu. And that's kind of what I'm doing now, because I've beat the game. Now I just have uh, open-world shenanigans left to do, getting all of these collectibles, and they've added these side missions you can take from phone booths that are uh, just little simple little side missions that they added, nothing major. And um, it is a lot of fun, but um, it's weird that those are entirely separate. Uh, in this game, remake here. Um, I mean, it's like how the original game was, Yeah. but um, it does kind of age it a little bit <laughs> in spite of its how pretty and modern it looks. Um... The collectibles are fun. They, uh, You know, you, you're picking up, like, pulpy novels and comics from the era with, like, some fun, cringy, stupid-ass cover. Like, you know, some woman getting, like, in a guillotine, and there's, like, goblins around her, and it's, like, you know, Satan's sex cult on the cover and, like, stuff like that. And then, like, you know, some gangsters running away from a burning building, and it's, like, you know, our, our beloved... Bootleggers are at it again, and, and shit like that. Uh, they're uh, they're great. Um, now, uh, I've beat the game, but I beat it on easy mode. Once I do all the open world shenanigans, I'm going to attempt to beat it on classic mode. And from what I am reading, that is pretty hard. Um, it's very hard. Specifically because of one chapter <laughs> where you have to win a race. It's early in the game. It's the fifth mission out of, like, I think 20. And uh, apparently that's the hardest part of classic mode. Because the not only is do you take more damage and the cops have more realistic AI, but all the AI is out to get you including the other drivers in this race driving is really difficult now so I will try that at the very least because I think I'm at least competent (laughs) at these kind of games I just wanted to beat it on easy for the first time considering I didn't know how different Mafia was going to be and I had a lot of fun with it on easy it didn't seem too easy or too hard Uh, anyway I would recommend that game it's a fun time. Good, good little remake. Uh, it's a little rough around the edges. If you, you know, you can hit people in the walls. And uh, <laughs> today, I, in the free roam mode, I ran past somebody, and they said "work in progress" to me, but in a in a robot voice, which means that the developers put that in as a placeholder, and didn't take it out. So the NPC told me in a, like, Microsoft Sam voice, work in progress. And I was like, excuse (laughs) me? (laughs) Um, It's on my Twitter if you want to see that. I'm not lying, I swear. That's incredible. What the fuck? Yeah, it's similar to that uh, Avengers thing we talked about a couple weeks ago where Hulk literally said agreeable grunt. Yeah, it's similar to that. Um, but it's only happened once. Most of the NPC dialogue is doesn't repeat, even. And for the most yeah, part, man. you're just watching great cutscenes and experiencing fun missions and shooting people in the head. And it's great. It's a good game. Fun time. I'm excited to play Mafia 2, even though the Mafia 2 remaster is apparently really bad. Uh, <laughs> Awful, apparently. Yeah. But I've never played Mafia 2, so maybe I'll be a little more forgiving. Uh, We shall see. Hopefully they've patched out some of the glitches by now, by the way, too. Uh, I will see. (laughs) I I will at least see. Um, One last thing I'd like to talk about, unless you got anything else before we talk about Hobbit. Uh, No, you don't? Go for it. Uh, Have you heard about the new Animaniacs? (laughs) Ooh, yeah.
0: So... Kind of blindsided by the announcement of that.
1: Well, they announced it several years ago, and I kind of just rolled my eyes at it and didn't think anything of it because, like, you know, everything gets a reboot. Right. But I should have thought about it, and I should have thought about, like, what that would mean for Animaniacs. And it actually is pretty fucking fantastic. Um. It's on Hulu. It's it's kind of weird that it's on Hulu because it's a WB animation. So you'd think that would be HBO Max, but maybe the deal went through before HBO Max existed. Not sure. Or maybe Hulu just offered them a billion dollars. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the specifics. But, um, you know, I should have thought about, you know, how Animaniacs, you know, in the 90s were... Very self-referential, breaking the fourth wall. And I should have thought about how they would approach the very concept of a reboot with that tone. And they do it justice and make fun of the very idea <laughs> of a reboot of a 90s property. And it's great. Um, there's a lot of self-depreciating humor in there. <laughs> um now, um, reviews of it have been kind of mixed because, you know, I've seen people say that uh, this kind of stuff is a little too mean-spirited and talking down and saying, you know, these stupid reboots, but we're not one of those. We're one of the good ones. Uh, I've, I've seen people say it was too liberal. I've seen people say it's too conservative. Uh <laughs> I have, I have no Weird. idea what either of them are talking about. To be perfectly honest, um, Animaniacs has always made fun of modern day politics. It was very unique in that regard as far as cartoons go. Uh, they would literally just, you know, make fun of Bill Clinton in a cartoon for children, uh, <laughs> um, and this is no exception. <sighs> Uh, there's actually good Trump jokes in here, which, um, especially in cartoons is a rarity. Like, you know, I was worried that they were going to be cringy. You know, I was thinking about that. Uh, have you ever seen that episode of family guy where, uh, (laughs) Peter fights Trump? Yeah. It's awful. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, but no, they actually kind of do it justice here. um, There's like the Trump scene is really funny. They don't go overboard with it. It's not like they're making fun of Trump in every episode. You know what I mean? Like they pick and choose their targets based on the plot of the episode. Um, Celebrities and political figures are made fun of constantly. Uh, My favorite targets were definitely Seth Meyers and Tucker Carlson uh, who got absolutely destroyed here. Um, they fucking went in, <laughs> um, Oh yeah. Tucker Carlson isn't presented as actually Tucker Carlson. It's, it's like a B- bucky, bucky Barkerson or something like that. Like it's like a fake Tucker Carlson name, but they really parody his demeanor and show and, and Fox news in general. And it's, it's great. Uh, And Seth Meyers, they just make him seem very, (laughs) very vapid and fake, and it's great. Uh, (laughs) Like, they they just absolutely destroyed these guys. They are done. Um, And obviously, you know, Animaniacs loves to do cameos out the ass of everything. You know, there's um, one of my favorite segments in this whole thing was a segment where... uh, (laughs) dot the warner sister rallies other cartoon characters to march on congress and demand the right for cartoon characters to vote and it has cameos from like all the looney tunes all the hanna-barbera characters just like just everything you can think of like even the fucking like edgy reboot looney tunes the 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 uh the uh the lunatics remember those even those are in there and they like poke fun at them. Uh, it's great. Um, <laughs> I also really love there's an episode where the Warners literally meet Pennywise. Uh, they, they go in and and, oh my God. and and just like do a lot of stuff. Um, with you know, <laughs> I, it's the things that they couldn't reference in the 90s, the things that have happened since they've been away. Um, now. The interesting thing with the structure of this thing that I noticed was uh Animaniacs used to have like a big cast of different cartoon characters, but the reboot decided to just focus on the Warner siblings and Pinky and the Brain. Uh all the other characters are gone. You know, your your slappy squirrel and your your good good feathers <laughs> and oh god and, uh, and, and chicken boo is definitely you know that not not a major character in this. However, their absence is addressed in a really great episode. Um now in my opinion, it was smart to, you know, kind of trim the fat here out of Animaniacs and just distill it to its like most memorable characters. <laughs> Yeah. But I could kind of see like big fans of the original kind of being disappointed that their favorite characters get sidelined. Um, I, me, personally, I, I thought it was fine. Uh, especially because the real standout here is the pinky and the brain shorts. Those are the best shit. This is some of the best material they have ever received. I always thought those were like easily the best in the original show. And then it's eventually spun off into its own show. And that shit's hysterical. It's one of the best cartoons ever made. And here, it's like dynamite. They they take the concept and modernize it. And it works really well because, you know, constantly in the 90s one, Brain would, you know, exploit some kind of technology from the era to try to take over the world and, uh, you know... It's no different now. He's just using, you know, either smartphones or self-driving Tesla cars (laughs) or, uh, you know, just various things. And And they do the same thing that the 90s one did where, like, the characters can just be in a different time period just because, like, here's an adventure of the Warners in ancient Greece. And here's an adventure of Pinky and the Brain in the Arabian Nights era just just because, like fuck it like who cares <laughs> and I, I, I love that they can do that um, uh, nearly every episode was great the only thing that made me cringe throughout the whole thing was they did a bit where the Animaniacs have a um, rap battle against somebody and it was a very brief segment it was only like two minutes but it was really unfunny uh, that's the only bit that I can say was bad Overall, this is genuinely one of the best reboots of all time, in my opinion. (laughs) Like, uh, they did such a good job of poking fun at the concept of it and making it, you know, doing it in a way that it feels right for Animaniacs. Uh, Highly recommend that. Watch that if if you got Hulu. Oh, yeah, I definitely want
0: to. I think I will get around to it eventually.
1: Yeah. You'll you'll know if you're going to like it by the first episode. The first episode's definitely the most self-referential because it's about them being rebooted and yeah. you know, like <laughs> you know, and seeing what everybody's been up to. Okay. And and then it kind of like gets into its groove as it goes on and kind of like branches out from there. Um Thankfully, you know, I mean, you could even just pick and choose an episode, to be honest, because it's, it's not like you have to watch it <laughs> in order. It's not that kind of show. It's just, you know, a bunch of dumb shit. <laughs> not everything is a home run, but, you know, for the majority of it, there's at least something in every episode that made me actually laugh out loud in my house by myself, <laughs> which which isn't that frequent for me. Um Oh yeah. But anyway. That's exciting. Uh, speaking of rebooting Warner Brothers properties. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess let's talk about Hobbit. Oh boy. <sighs> Desima- the desolation of S- 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 Smaug. The deportation of Smaug. Get out of here. <laughs> Go back to your country, Smaug. <laughs> was he really? Was he deported? You think? Um, from life eventually, but that's in the next movie. Yeah. Um, Weirdly, he deported the, the the dwarves from their homeland.
0: Oh yeah, he did. Uh, he did do that and
1: stole all their money. Oh. Um, <laughs> what a prick. So, um, I guess let's just get into it, Justin. This was released in December of the year 2013, a year after release of the first Hobbit film. This sequel continues the short, but expanded to three films, story of the Hobbit novel, while adding and expanding way too much (laughs) uh, in in material and characters. Um, I guess before we uh, go through it uh what, what what did you think of um the dissert the movie. dissertation of <laughs> The movie
0: is so disappointing. yeah my god
1: i agree there's
0: uh there's so much wrong with it
1: yeah th- this is where the cracks really begin to show in the entire project of the hobbit trilogy um yeah, definitely. now the glass doesn't shatter until the third movie I feel, but it's definitely cracking <laughs> uh, I I kind of feel about this one the exact same way I feel about the first one in that it is pretty good until a character that isn't in The Hobbit shows up and in both cases I think it's around the like hour mark Or maybe 40-minute mark for Desolation of Smog, Um, Because, you know, it's like, yay, okay, we get to see Bjorn. That's cool. And then, you know, that's from the book. Uh, And then, you know, we, we get to go in the forest, and Gandalf leaves, and the forest is trippy and creepy. And then there's a bunch of spiders attack them, and that's all fun. And then Legolas shows up. And you're like, Huh? Now, obviously, that wouldn't be your normal reaction because he was heavily advertised in the lead-up to this movie coming out, so everybody knew he was going to show up, and everybody knew that that was going to be stupid. Uh, Turns out it was stupid. Whoa! (laughs) What have thought. (sighs) Well, you know what? Maybe maybe just to starters, I'll go through the characters that were added for this movie. And we can kind of, like, give a judgment on how we think about him. So I guess the first one would be Bjorn early in the movie. Uh, This is Mikael Persbrandt. Uh, So he's like a werebear, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, This role was originally going to be filled by Ron Perlman back when Guillermo del Toro was going to direct the film. So I think that could have been cool. But uh, whoever this guy is does an R8 job. Uh, He's barely in the movie, um, which is how it's supposed to be because this is just one stop on their journey. Uh, that's how the Hobbit is supposed to work, at least. <laughs> um, stop some places for way too long. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Um Who else do we got added? Alright, so um we got Lee Pace as Thranduil, uh, who was in the Hobbit. <laughs> He's your primary elf man who is angry. And hate, he hates them dwarves. Uh, he does appear in all three films of the trilogy, but I figured we should kind of save talking about him until this one because he's only in the prologue of the first one and he doesn't have any dialogue. Right. So Lee Pace, you may recognize him from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He plays the villain in that, uh, Ronan the Accuser, and they both sound exactly the same. Uh, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I kind of, like, uh, get them mixed up in my head. I keep thinking his name is Ronan, not Thranduil. Um, So uh, I got a a weird tidbit about him, by the way. Um, Okay. Lee Lee Pace uh, is gay or bisexual. We're not entirely sure. It doesn't matter either way. The only reason I'm bringing it up is he was unintentionally outed as gay by his Hobbit co-star, Ian McKellen. (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) In a press interview for the Hobbit movies. um, You know, Ian McKellen didn't know that he was, you know, kind of outing him. Uh, He was just kind of, you know, talking about, you know, the difference between being an openly gay man during the era The Lord of the Rings came out and being an openly gay man now. And he was kind of saying, you know, oh, well, it's different now. You know, back then I was the only gay person on set probably but now we got like you know that hobbit over there i'm sorry that dwarf over there and that dwarf over there and lee pace is gay and and everybody was like what (laughs) gandalf you can't just jettison people from the closet like that that's not cool man uh god um, he didn't he didn't think it was uh not known um but either way, uh, I think it's just kind of water under the bridge. I don't think Lee Pace was angry about it or anything. I just found it kind of funny that just like, you know, 90-year-old Ian McKellen fucked up and <laughs> was just like, yeah, he's gay. Oops. Whoops. What do you What do you think of Lee Pace in this movie as an asshole elf man?
0: He does a great job being an asshole elf man. Yeah, I think, he does I just think it's
1: the role that is supposed to be filled by this character, you know? Like, He's supposed to be icy as fuck and shitty. Um, I think this makes him shittier than he even was in the book. Because now yeah, we see him being shitty to his son and to Toriel, who we'll talk about in, in, in a minute. Uh, <laughs> which wasn't an aspect in the book at all. You know, I, I think I think it just it worked so much better with, you know, you have Thranduil and the dwarves in the Hobbit, and then their descendants show up in Lord of the Rings, and lo and behold they become friends. And that's the development you have, instead of shoehorning those descendants back into this story, like we do here. Awful. On that note, let's talk about Orlando Bloom as Legolas, who was not in The Hobbit. Uh, <laughs> he's not in the book, <clears throat> but he gets to come back anyway, usually to be in an action scene, but sometimes to be in an action scene. And then it's really rare, but sometimes he gets to be in an action scene.
0: He has, like, very few lines of dialogue. <laughs> And, and most of them are I in the all of too. of yeah. I hate all of his lines of dialogue, not just because, like, very little of no the significance of the film, but also, like, his, like, this isn't the Legolas you want to see after you've already seen the world. Yeah,
1: the, the thing is, his character development in Lord of the Rings is supposed to be an asshole, stuck up elf who becomes. Not such an asshole stuck up elf as he develops a friendship with Gimli. Which is cool. This Legolas, to preserve that character arc later, has to be basically racist and shitty the whole time. But he still has to be a badass, because that's Legolas. So it kind of makes me conflicted about whether to root for him or not in any of his scenes at all. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't don't know what they were thinking as far as that goes. Probably should have just not included him. What? Hmm. Just a little bit, you know. <laughs> so I think you can look this up. I think it's in Lindsay Ellis's video, and it's in it's in the behind the scenes footage that is, uh, you know, extensive, but part of these movies on DVD and such. It's a behind the scenes clip <laughs> that I think about often, of uh, a confused Orlando Bloom asking the man filming him whether he, what he's shooting that day is for the second or third Hobbit film. Uh, he genuinely does not know <laughs> if what he is filming is for Hobbit 2 or 3. And then they tell him, and he's like, oh, okay, it's for 3, and then shrugs and looks at the camera like he's in the office. And <laughs> it's, it's really good. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I don't blame Orlando Bloom. It's more what he's given here. To work with you know
0: yeah like
1: garbage man. right and in the same uh, vein we have Evangeline Lilly as Toriel who was also not in the Hobbit but also wasn't even a creation of J.R.R. Tolkien <laughs> um, and I also don't blame her for how this character ends up She's usually a pretty good actress. You can see her in Lost and in, you know, the Ant-Man films as the Wasp. Uh, she's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I like Evangeline Lilly. But this character uh who is created by Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh for these films isn't very good. Um she has no depth. No. Yeah, uh, you know, I was hoping when she was initially introduced that Uh, You know, she could just be a badass elf lady, and while that's pretty shallow and, you know, maybe a male fantasy in its own right, uh, at least she's not, you know, in a dumb love triangle with Legolas and also a dwarf. But lo and behold, all they use the female character for in this movie is a romantic love triangle subplot. Because, of course, Uh, Evangeline Lilly herself admitted uh, in an interview that during production, she told Peter Jackson that she would do anything for him except have her character be involved in a love triangle. (laughs) But then eventually, she does end up being in a love triangle. And this kind of makes me wonder if that was a somewhat late addition to the script, and it, that wasn't there initially. Uh, maybe even an addition that wasn't introduced until the reshoots of the films, uh, because it really feels tacked on. It really feels tacked on.
0: It feels cool. like I don't know. Entire love triangle thing is unnecessary.
1: You know, they wanted a more. You know, I can understand what they were going for. You know, it's it's the Romeo and Juliet, you know, your typical thing. You know, they're not supposed to get together because one's an elf and one's a dwarf, hijinks and Sue. But um it never really goes anywhere. And we'll get to why in the third movie, but spoiler, it's because dwarf die. And then she just sad. And it's like, Welp Oops. <laughs> there go, there goes that arc there goes that side plot <sighs> I don't know I I wish it was better but it's not basically everything that's added in this movie I think it's the last one is terrible yeah
0: <sighs> that's a change it's just like right Did they keep adding to pad the time out it's just Right. Accent quality. Yeah.
1: Um, now, something I do like as an addition to this is the next character we could talk about, which is Luke Evans as Bard the Bowman, um, yes. who is in The Hobbit. However, his role was very brief in the book because he kind of just shows up to slay Smog, and then fucks off, if I remember correctly. He's not part of the Battle of the Five Armies in any way. Yeah. Um or at least he's not named as being such. But the Battle of Five Armies is like two pages in the book, as compared to like two hours in the movie that we're about to see next week. So so like, um but uh, you know, for a character that was only in The Hobbit very briefly without much of expansion on his character, I like what they give him here. Uh, Luke Evans uh, you know, <laughs> does does a good job as Bard. Uh, he's a likable character. He's a relatable character. He's your everyman hero who has fallen on hard times, maybe, because he's in such a shitty location. Uh, he has a family to care after. He's a lot more relatable than even, like, your other characters in the movie. Uh... I mean, Bilbo's pretty relatable as an everyman, too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Bard's like a different kind of everyman. He's a bit of a badass still. Like, he's, you know, killing shit and swinging shit around later. And, I mean, obviously, he ends up getting to kill Smog in the third movie. But um, I think what they did with him is pretty cool. And this is the kind of expansion to the story that I like and that I'm here for it reminds me of the kind of expansions that they would do for stuff from, like, Lord of the Rings, you know? But, uh... Unfortunately, it's very few and far between. Because, you know, for every bard scene, there's, like, a Legolas scene. Or, like, Radagast shows up. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. If you want to see Luke Evans in other films, um, don't, because... Most of them are bad. Would you like to know some of his great cinema classics, Jusby? Oh, please hit me up. Uh, Clash of the Titans from 2010. Okay. Oh. Uh, The Three Musketeers from 2011. Uh, Dracula Untold. Mm. Hmm. Fast and Furious 6, though. I guess that's probably the best movie here. You know, he's, he's, he usually gets the short end of the stick, Luke Evans. I think he deserves better movies. I think he's a better actor than, you know, uh, the movies that he's in often. Feel feel bad, and these are counted in that. <laughs> these are counted in that. Uh, I mean, they're, they're better than Dracula Untold, though. I'll give them that. Uh, speaking of Lake Town... Uh, other characters that got expanded are uh, Stephen Fry as the Master of Lake Town. Uh, much like Bard, his role in *The Hobbit* was brief, but has been expanded here. Uh, he's been made into a much more despicable and disgusting character than he was in the novel, and I don't like it uh, because it's 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 real cringe and not great. Mega cringe. <laughs> it's mega cringe, bro. Mega it's,
2: cringe. It's so
1: cringe. It's just, I don't know. You kind of get the sense that uh, we're trying to do Peter Jackson's greatest hits, right? Or, the, or right. The, no, like, no. the Lord of the Rings greatest hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, That that's, that's what it is. You know, it's like people liked Denethor and when he ate that cherry tomato and it was real gross and everybody was like, ah, oh, God. So, we'll have Stephen Fry eat a fucking dick sandwich. And it, like, squirts all over the place. And then his assistant is, like, a unibrowed freak. Uh... <laughs> like, I'm just like, stop, please. This is too far. This is too much. I can only handle so much disgusting crap in my face.
0: Yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know,
1: man. Yeah. Being real... Being real gross. Does he eat balls in in the theatrical cut? No, that's only in the extended... Oh, well, boy, you were lucky to not see him eat bollocks. Because he literally eats bollocks, Justin. It was disgusting.
0: Okay. Fucking great!
1: Yeah, like Peter Jackson was like that cherry tomato scene was gross. So I'm gonna have Stephen Fry eat like steamed balls, and and they fucking like snap in his mouth, and it's gross. It's disgusting. I hate that they added it. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, fuck that. I hate that that was an extended edition exclusive. <laughs> More pain. <laughs> Thank you. And his assistant is played by Ryan Gage as Alfred with an I. Um, not 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 really in The Hobbit. So this is kind of like another character created by Jackson and Co. And, and a very terrible one at that. Yeah. I hate Alfred. I hate Alfred so much. He is probably, and this is saying something, the worst part of all three. Now a lot of that is in movie three, which we'll get to next week. Yeah, it's but I I I'm gonna worse. go out on a limb and say he's the worst part of all three, bar none. I don't think it's a wrong answer. He's a he's a despicable Cretan character, and again, you kind of have the sense that Peter Jackson is playing to the greatest hits of Lord of the Rings here. Maybe he can be a little bit like you know gr- gray gray tongue or whatever from uh yeah from uh Two Towers. But uh, he's kind of just like in the third movie. He feels more like like a Balkan skull or something, like from Power Rangers. Like every now and then we cut to him and he's like, "Oops, I I fell down the stairs after trying to bully somebody." And it's it's uh it's bad. It's it's real bad. <laughs> I, I'm sure we'll bitch more about him next week.
0: Oh, it'll get, it's gonna get much worse. Now he's just like in this movie.
1: Shit. Yeah, he just he just you know, got, and the unibrow is a terrible choice. I hated it. Yeah, I feel bad for that man because uh, I've seen pictures of him without the uh, the unibrow that he has for this movie, and he looks a lot better, cleaned up. But most people's uh, like picture of him in their head is from his most famous movie role, which is this. So, <laughs> um, sorry, dude. But here, let's talk about Benedict Cumberbatch, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's he's the smog. He is the the titular bringer of the desolation in the movie.
0: Benedict Clingus does, uh, a
1: decent job. Brangle, Dangle, Kangle, Cang- Mind, Bangle, whatever his name is. Yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah, that one. Yeah.
0: I don't. This, this is the. I don't mind his performance one No, he does actually. He's
1: good job. actually really good in this. Uh, he's good in most things. He's he's even good in Sherlock, which is a terrible show, uh, which also has Martin Freeman in it. Uh, sorry to people who like Sherlock. It's not good. Uh, and um, he's good in Doctor Strange and all the other MCU movies that have Doctor Strange in it Uh, he's good in 12 Years a Slave he's even good in Star Trek Into Darkness even though his role in that movie is stupid Um, and here he does the full motion capture performance for Smog, and it, look up that footage if you haven't seen it, because it is a treat. It's funny. Uh, he crawls around on all fours. Yep, and snarls, that. and he's in a mocap suit, and it's a sight to behold. He looks like a fucking idiot, and and bless him for doing it. He got way more into it than he should have. <laughs> I do not know what this man was doing, but uh, I like his voice for the the dragon. I mean, obviously it's got like some digital effects and stuff on it, but it's good. It's, it's appropriately uh, deep and creepy and, f- like, fearsome-sounding. Yeah. Uh, and the scene with Bilbo talking to Smog is really fucking good. And Fantastic. it's kind of the sad part of this movie, much like the sad part of the first movie, where every now and then you have a scene that's fucking excellent. Um, so... I guess before we talk about the stuff that we hated the most, let's talk about the stuff we liked the most. What did you like the most in this movie?
0: Alright, I don't know. I think we talked about this before. I do how you to feel about it. There are a lot of people hate it. I like the barrel scene.
1: I also like the barrel scene. Fuck off if you don't like the barrel scene. It's so much fun. Barrel scene. Dope.
0: That stuff? That stuff's what I like about these The goofy, fucking, like, ridiculous shit.
1: Yeah, it it goes a little. It's a little more overboard than anything from Lord of the Rings, as far as an action scene goes. It's like if an entire scene was the part where Legolas uh, skateboards down the stairs and helms deep. (laughs) But that's still fun. It is just constant craziness happening, and it culminates in the dumbest part of that scene, which is when the really fat dwarf goes off onto the side and rolls and kills a bunch of orcs by rolling running them over. and then like pops out of the barrel like he has armor on and spins around like he's in a video game, and then jumps back in a barrel, which makes no sense at all. None. because they had specifically no. the amount of barrels they needed. For all the dwarves. And then Bilbo is chilling in somebody else's barrel. And that big fat dwarf got in an empty barrel. Which was not there to begin with. Right. But it's there now. And that makes no sense. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Because it's a, it's like a cartoon scene. But it's fun. Um, you know, scenes like this make me wish that... Um, there was supposed to be a sequel to the adventures of tin tin directed by Peter Jackson. And I think that could have been the shit because if you take this sensibility, he has towards action scenes and apply it to an actual cartoon like tin tin, it could be really fucking good. Right. Um, I hope that that's not dead in the water. Cause I don't, I don't think the first tin tin movie was that successful. Um, I like that movie a lot. I think it's hella underrated. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, but it's really it's, it's a like really it. fun it's like the best Indiana Jones movie you're gonna get this century, so you might as well just watch it. Like I don't <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You're not gonna get another one that's good.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> um I don't
1: know, it's yeah. Barrel seemed good.
0: Fuck the haters too.
1: Anything else you like a lot?
0: Um, I like basically from the moment they get to the mountain to like the end of the movie, I thought it was all really good.
1: I I don't like the smog chase after the scene with Bilbo and Smog. The scene with Bilbo and Smog is fucking great, but then Oh you don't like the you don't like the stuff after that? I thought it was fun. Some of it. Um, that CGI gold looks like absolute dog shit.
0: Why, yeah. The CGI <laughs> looks like... But we've already, like, you know, stated it. it is well known that the CGI in The Hobbit looks like dog shit.
1: True, but sometimes. Not all the time. Which is weird. Um, no, most of the time
0: it looks like shit. There's, there's, like, there's like a few exceptions, I think. I'm on the opposite of the spectrum on you in this. Most of the time you could blatantly sure? tell... And it's, like, pretty fucking awful.
1: I think it's, like, the scenes they thought of earliest in the production that required digital effects are good, but the scenes that you can kind of tell were added late are bad because they had less time to work on it. Like, for instance, the Gollum scene in the first one and the smog and Bilbo scene in this one look great. They look great. Like, obviously, smog doesn't look realistic because he's not a realistic-looking thing, so he's going to look like a cartoon no matter what you do, but he looks great. But then when he's chasing the dwarves and they're fucking flopping around this fucking foundry and it's just like chaos and then the gold looks like shit and like Thorin's riding on that fucking plate in the the goo, in the hot molten goo and it looks bad. (laughs) Um, I don't like that stuff. You know, there's a clear line between the scenes that they cared about, the scenes that were there in the earliest stages of these movies, and then, like, you know, what Bolg looks like. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Bolg looks like shit, and should not be in this movie, because they already, like, replaced him with Azog, but, um, nah, another orc guy, I guess. Fuck it. All right, so my right. my favorite scene in the whole movie, and maybe all of The Hobbit, okay. uh, is the scene where Bilbo is a Chad and saves the dwarves from the spiders by using the One yeah. Ring to sneak around and stab them and shit. And the spiders, again, much like the Shelob scene in Return of the King, are so creepy and gross and I hate them. And that means they did a good job. And it's even more gross when Bilbo puts on the ring, and the spiders like, talk, and they're like, feed! (laughs) And it's disgusting. Yeah. It's so disgusting. But the best part of the whole thing is Bilbo falls down a chasm, and there's a baby spider. And the baby spider, like, sees the one ring that he dropped, and he goes over to it, and he stabs the fucking shit out of it. Like... Intensely, and then grabs the ring and says, mine. It's so good. It's a great little character moment that actually helps build the lore of Lord of the Rings. It's the perfect thing you want from these movies, actually, right. because it is its own thing, part of its own story, but it helps establish and reconnect it to the, like, allure and evilness of the One Ring. Like, it's great. That scene's great. And then Martin Freeman's acting as he, like, realizes that he, like, went evil there for a second and then switches back and, like, shakes it off is excellent and really subtle and well done. That's my favorite scene in the whole movie.
0: If Martin Freeman's just goaded in these, dude... Yeah, he's great.
1: The best part of him, for sure.
0: Like, hands
1: down. Now... I will tell you what my least favorite part (laughs) of this movie is. And maybe you will agree with me. Gandalf's subplot. God. So, refresh my memory. What is Gandalf's subplot in The Hobbit?
0: So, it's... I guess the whole thing behind him... The, the first movie introduces the subplot of like. Yeah, they introduce it oh. early
1: with Radagast uh, because there's like some yeah. evil that has returned and he has a ghost sword or some shit. It's setting up yeah. the ring wraiths, but. <sighs> From what I remember in The Hobbit, you know, there is no Sauron. There is no, no. ring wraiths. There is none of that. That does That's not a thing. Instead, there is the necromancer who I don't think really gets talked about a lot. It's basically no. an excuse for the dwarves and Bilbo to have to fend for themselves and the OP get them out of sticky situations character fucks off for a while is my yeah. interpretation of the original Hobbit. In, in yeah, this, right. they change it to be a connection to the lord of the rings which and it i don't think it works at all well no there's a specific reason why it doesn't work yeah
0: in the lord of the rings gandalf doesn't know that sauron's back
1: yeah that's pretty important right
0: right it's, it's <laughs> when they when he discovers the ring like the whole fucking point like at the beginning part of the of fellowship is like that he spends all this time researching the ring and discovering that It's a symbol of Sauron returning and shit, and they need to get rid of the ring.
1: Right. So, like, I guess Peter Jackson's interpretation of this was, well, he thought they got rid of Sauron 60 years ago when the Hobbit happened. But in reality, they didn't. But what Tolkien meant by it was, Gandalf thought they got rid of Sauron hundreds and hundreds of years ago. (laughs) Right. Um... And I think that makes a lot more sense and makes Sauron feel more like an ancient evil and also lets the villains and plot and MacGuffins (laughs) of the Hobbit stand on its own more without bringing in the main evil force from the Lord of the Rings, which I think just complicates matters unnecessarily. It kind of makes it hard to give a shit about the the uh, the smog stuff at the end of the movie when it's revealed that Sauron's the thing and Gandalf is like in a sticky situation. I mean, you know he has to live because you know the Lord of the Rings plot, but like if this was the if you were watching the hobbits first, I could not see you giving a shit about the dragon stuff once it's established that like this most evil thing ever is here now. Do you know? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, that's, that's a right. massive mistake, I think, and it really serves to undermine characters like Smog. And it I does. don't like it. I also really don't like. Uh... <sighs> well, okay, this is in the extended edition, Justin, and you're gonna you're gonna okay. hate this because you probably didn't even know this was a thing, because he is literally airbrushed out. Of the movie uh, in the theatrical edition, which is hilarious. Um, that's how unnecessary this is. When Gandalf goes to creepy place, uh, there is a person there. It's Anthony Sure as Thrain, Thorin's father. Only he's like feral and fucked up, and Gandalf has to like snap him out of it and shit. And they have a lot of scenes together. Only in the extended edition. And at first when I watched this, I was like, huh, this is interesting because Thorin's father has no role in The Hobbit at all. And if this was only in the extended edition, I wonder what extent he plays here. How does he change the story? The answer is he doesn't. Um, <laughs> Thrain is super tacked on. Um, and I wonder if even Peter Jackson felt this way, as Thrain is killed off just about as quickly as he is reintroduced to the story. He meets Gandalf, he tells him about the place a little bit, which Gandalf's already at the place and knows what's going on, so it doesn't really add that much to anything. He asks about Thorin, he says Thorin should not... Open the mountain, which I think is just him being worried about smog, which understandable. Thorin probably shouldn't open the mountain because smog's gonna get out and burn Lake Town. That's the ending of this movie. Uh, and then he just dies when they meet Sauron. Uh, when Sauron pins Gandalf against the wall and makes him say Sauron real slow. Before that, yeah. he just kills Thrain. And to top it off when he kills Thrain, Thrain screams. But he doesn't just scream. It's the Wilhelm scream. (laughs) And it's it's not presented like it should be funny. It's presented like, oh no, one of the characters died. But for some reason, they decided to use the Wilhelm scream, which is, you know really only used uh, for like henchmen deaths you know what I mean it's an inconsequential right. quick death that is a chuckle moment you know because you recognize the Wilhelm scream because it's in every movie ever uh, it's in all of the Lord of the Rings movies it's in all the Hobbit movies and here he uses it for an actual story beat death scene which makes absolutely no sense. It makes me feel like Peter Jackson hated this and shoved it into the extended edition only, airbrushed it out of the movie. Like, there's literal shots where Thrain is supposed to be that they just airbrushed him out and then just Gandalf stand there instead in the theatrical version. It's probably above and beyond the worst thing that gets added in the entirety of the extended editions of these, because it's it's just so inconsequential. It's stupid beyond belief. I hate it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> look, that scene in the beginning, when when Gandalf like talks to Thorne for the first time, the idea is that. It's supposed to be like Thorin letting go of his father.
1: Yeah, instead that actually serves as a setup for his father reappearing in the story later in the extended edition. And they add more to that scene to make them actually talk about Thrain and like where he went and how Thorin doesn't know what happened to him, but still believes he's alive and stuff like that. Uh, It's stupid. (laughs) Um, Some of that is from The Hobbit and other Middle-Earth stuff there, there yeah. was a, you know, it had nothing to do with Sauron, I'm pretty sure. No, uh, but anyway, like his dad was like lost, and like fucked up, and then did eventually die. But I, I think it's just like an aside, and they don't like expand upon it much. But of course, here it is in The Hobbit, where it needs to get expanded upon for no reason. Thanks, Peter Jackson. What else did you hate, Justin?
0: Oh, God. Um, talk about how much we hate the CG thing. Um, oh, we we all did. The... It's
1: all bad. I hate Bolg so much. Thank you. Bolg is awful. Borg! I do like how Azog says Bolg. It's gross. But he looks like shit. Especially now that I've seen what the what he was supposed to look like that I sent you last yeah. week. Uh, it's, it's so just, good. It's embarrassing. Like, just please let there be a guy in a costume playing the orc. It works in the first ones, in the original Lord of the Rings. I mean, you had Lurtz, you had the cauliflower head guy from Return of the King. Just do that. Like, that looked fine. That was fun. They look good. Yeah, they, those effects have aged pretty well because it's just a costume. It's just prosthetics. It looks really good. It's not a CGI abomination that will age poorly by the time by now. You know, the, the movie came out in 2013, Dude. it looks like shit now.
0: It looked like shit in 2013,
1: what are you talking true, about? True, true. It aged immediately.
0: <laughs> God, I remember, I remember hating it back then. Yeah. Shit. Just, it's so disappointing so many different levels. I,
1: You're lucky that you didn't watch it, the yeah. extended edition, though. Yeah, well, I did want to. When you didn't so. get the pointless Thrain. Uh, the only other stuff, they added like a little bit more Bjorn, which was fun. Uh, the spooky forest is even trippier. That goes on for a little bit longer, and that was fun. But uh, most of the stuff that they add is the Thrain stuff, and that sucks. And then they add more scenes with your favorite characters, the Master of Lake Town and Alfred, uh, eating balls. So, you know, this is probably the worst of all six movies when it comes to an extended edition. Bar none. I mean, I haven't seen the third one yet, but I'm just going to guess, based on the complete, complete extraneous nature of Thrain, and then... Eating balls for, by Stephen Fry—that uh, you can't uh, get worse than that. <laughs> so I'm gonna call it now. <laughs> it's the worst extended edition ever. <laughs> anyway, uh, you want some some dumb trivia?
0: Yeah, hit me up, buddy. There's
1: some cameos in this movie. Uh, The first one is really obvious because I think it's like the first shot of the movie. Uh, Peter Jackson eating a carrot, reprising his cameo from Fellowship of the Ring uh, as the same villager from Bree, but like younger, I guess. Although he looks older because he is, which is you know a common problem in these movies. Gandalf looks much older but is younger. Uh, same with Orlando Bloom, who gets, like, a weird de-aged face that creeps awful. the fuck out. <laughs> uh, and another interesting one is uh, Stephen Colbert has a cameo. Did you catch it? No, not at all. Yeah, so he uh, is one of the spies of Lake Town who are looking at Bard. Uh, he uh, has, like, an eye patch and gets a very close-up shot at the camera. Um, but if you're not like looking for it you won't notice it probably just because he's wearing so much shit that you can't immediately tell a Stephen Colbert so he was a huge fan of Middle Earth and he like kind of like petitioned to be in these movies a little bit on his shows and stuff uh, which was kind of funny and he got in <laughs> uh, but here's another fun little tidbit I found so uh, Topher Grace not in the movies. Uh, <laughs> um, you know how he has like uh, that hobby where he like re-edits movies. Uh, yeah. He has the uh, the cut of the uh, Star Wars prequels that is like one ninety minute long film, and he also has a cut of the Hobbit movies that is edited down to a single two hour long film, which actually sounds quite nice.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so he was on the late show with Stephen colbert and he was asked about this editing and uh colbert like was jokingly mad at him because he edited out his cameo <laughs> which i found kind of funny but he was like dude, Stephen, there's it's you know it's not it's like 10 seconds dude it's like three seconds dude
0: That's great, honestly.
1: <laughs> I kind of want to watch that Topher Grace edit. That sounds like I would. I really want to see. There's there's multiple edits of these movies into a shorter experience without a lot of the extraneous bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. I, there's something called the Tolkien edit, which is four hours. So there's still a lot to it. Uh, Tofor Grace goes a bit further and cuts it down to two hours, which I think is kind of cool. Um, I think two hours is probably enough. There's a lot you could cut. <laughs> There's a lot you could cut. Entire characters, entire plot lines, just throw it in the garbage. Uh, oh, um, did you immediately turn the movie off when the end credits happened? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you didn't get to hear the original song, I See Fire by Ed Sheeran.
0: I heard the first little bit of it, and I knew what it
1: was. Heard it before. And you vomited and turned it off? Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. It's shit. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say it's the best Ed Sheeran song I've heard, which is literally saying nothing. So (laughs) I don't know. Like, take that as you will. It's not good. Oh, it's awful. Like, I uh, it. so, so I guess it's pretty safe to say that in our Middle Earth rankings, this is the worst one so far. Uh-huh. So we got Return of the King, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Unexpected Journey, Desolation of Smog. Right. Sounds, sounds correct to me. And my prediction is that uh, from what I remember of Battle of the Five Armies that will uh, just get slotted right underneath Desolation of Smog. Ouch. Yeah. Because this one still has things I like in it. The next one, a lot less. A lot less.
0: <laughs> Very quickly gets to a point where you're not borrowing material.
1: <laughs> no, they're just wholesale just doing their own thing. And the stuff that works works but it's like maybe 10% of that movie maybe 10% <sighs> now this this movie was successful it made 958.4 million against its you know give or take 191.2 million dollar budget this is estimated due to the nature of the films being filmed simultaneously you can't have like a definite number really Uh, The film fared a little better with critics than the first film with a 73% score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a little strange that it's uh, that it reviewed better than Unexpected Journey. I think maybe people were just like expecting it to be even worse and then were like kind of surprised that it wasn't that bad is maybe the reason. I do think it's worse than Unexpected Journey, though. 100%. I think there's scenes I like in it better, but that's coupled with some of the worst shit. (laughs) Right. Some of the most unnecessary bullshit. Like uh, Legolas' duel with Bolg, where he hits all the quick time events. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he taps A real good, and hits bold My God, it felt like watching a video game cutscene, and like it needs those like Shenmue like buttons appearing on the screen. Like it, like it <laughs> really does. It felt like that a lot. It felt like I was watching like the Leon versus Krauser fight.
0: <laughs> really though, um, it's like, ugh. Bad and I don't like
1: it. Well, speaking of bad and I don't like it, next week battle of the five armies, and then and then yeah, like, and then we'll be bad. done with the Hobbit, and done with Middle Earth. And I'm very yeah. excited to see what we cover next that is not Hobbit movies. Oh, Although God. I did enjoy rewatching them so far. Uh, they're not fantastic, but I loved rewatching Lord of the Rings. And,
0: oh yeah, well those movies are timeless classics. Yeah. and
1: and to a degree, I liked rewatching this one and the, the first one, but Five Armies is where it where it's just I'm gonna not.
0: <laughs> where it takes a big old dump, buddy. Yeah. Well, well to until it.
1: then, I'm Gen, and that's Jub, and this was the the, the sure. show, and we will we will catch you on the the flippity flangus.
0: Fli- the fl-
2: flippity flagus. Very good. Thank you.
1: Yeah.